I'm Mark Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Sometimes you just have to give credit where credit is due. Most of the guests on the Voice of Insurance are long-term CEOs of large companies. They're all major players in the market, and I don't need any special reason to talk to them. But today's guest is on the show not because he runs a market-moving global insurance business, but because I think he's done something completely out of the ordinary that deserves closer attention. Realm is a remarkable business because it has responded to a moment of dysfunction by creating something entirely new. Seeing a total absence of insurance industry response to the emerging cryptocurrency phenomenon, Joe Zolkowski, Realm's co-founder and CEO, has built the first crypto insurer with a license from a recognised international jurisdiction and an A rating. The result is that Realm is a business that can underwrite in cryptocurrency limits, pay claims and crucially hold assets in crypto on its own solvent, rated and regulated balance sheet. I doubt that Realm will be the last of the native crypto insurers, but what Joe has achieved so far is a fascinating story. And it's not just crypto. This business's culture seems to be to seek out genuinely uncharted areas of opportunity. For this reason, insurance for the nascent cannabis and psychedelic sectors are also areas of focus. You don't need to understand the ins and outs of all these markets to see that there is enormous unmet demand for insurance in these fast-growing new market verticals. For that reason, I would highly recommend a listen to this remarkable story. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA Claim Service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Joe, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Mark, it's honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on the show. Realm, it's a really, really interesting business. I'm sure you've done this a hundred times, talking to investors and to partners, but just one more time for the listeners. Tell us about the business, how you got the idea, what sort of journey you've been on to date and where you think you're heading. Yeah, so Realm today is the leading global insurer supporting companies operating across the crypto and blockchain space. And we didn't start that way, but we're now in our third year of operations and have managed to build a business plan that really is committed to providing 
informed capacity to a sector of the technology industry that we think is here to stay. We just received our financial stability rating from Demotech of A Exceptional, which was uh, released for the first time in December, right? So now all of our financials are going to be transparent. And so to describe, Rob, a full stack insurer, you've got your own balance sheet. That's correct. And now you've got an A rating from Demotech as well. That's very pioneering. And obviously, you've got a license as well. If you've got the other two, you must have a license. <laughs> Tell us all about that. And Tell us about the journey of how did you get the license? How do you get the rating for a company that's doing what you're doing? Yes. Well, and it's funny, right? I mean, in the crypto insurance space, being a regulated insurer is a rarity. And because I presume a lot of the ones I've heard of are sort of MGAs, that kind of thing. Yeah, there are certainly MGAs, but there are also, you know, what I think are certainly very innovative and evolved on-chain decentralized insurance marketplaces and sources of capacity. The challenge there is those are unregulated. You know, they lack contract certainty. When it comes to companies or institutional investors looking for those kind of traditional hallmarks of risk management as it relates to insurance, it's extremely difficult for those operations to check those boxes. So we happen to be the only commercial insurer. First of all, we're, we're licensed in Bermuda by the Bermuda Monetary Authority. We obtained our license in 2019, and we are the first commercial insurer with this really amazing license class that the BMA issued a couple of years ago. It's called the Innovative Insurer General Business Authorization. And it's a commercial insurance authorization that for Realm enables us to do three really cool things. Number one, we can actually denominate limits in crypto. Number two, we can maintain reserves on our balance sheet in crypto in support of those limits we're issuing. And then we can also pay claims in crypto. So in this transitional world of insurance, we transact a ton of business in the traditional sense, right? Off-chain, fiat-denominated. But as this technology continues to gain momentum and adoption, we believe there's going to be a very strong play for insurance on-chain, denominated in non-fiat currency. So it's a really exciting place to be in. And Bermuda has been a fantastic jurisdiction to work with. It's presumably if you don't if you aren't able to denominate in crypto, you end up with this huge currency risk all the time because, of course, crypto are very volatile currencies at the moment. I'm sure they'll become more stable at some point in the future. But at the moment, you could be exposing yourself to all sorts of, well, you'd have to be hedging all the time in Bitcoin futures, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's almost unmanageable, right? I mean, if you think about the market sell-off that's taken place just in the last two months in the crypto space, total market cap of crypto was almost $3 trillion in November. It's at 1.6 trillion today. And in the crypto verse, that's just a small speed bump, <laughs> nothing to be too concerned about. But from a reserve matching liability standpoint, you're absolutely right. And I think it's a great hallmark as it relates to our regulatory body, right? The Bermuda Monetary Authority. They have literally created a BSCR solvency calculation, which is the same BSCR that any other class 3A commercial insurer Bermuda is subjected to but it includes additional tabs that enable an insurer like Realm to take credit for any non-fiat assets it has on its balance sheet for solvency purposes, right? So in another jurisdiction, if we're holding BTC to back our BTC reserves, our BTC limits, for solvency purposes, any BTC on our balance sheet is going to be valued at zero. And so there's a huge advantage there for us from a regulatory standpoint. And obviously, just to clarify, BTC to any sort of non-crypto head is Bitcoin, right? That is correct. Absolutely. So 
what was behind Realm coming into existence? Was it this need to buy legitimate insurance? And what sort of assets are you covering? Are you covering those assets themselves or are you just mostly insuring the people who are working in crypto? Obviously, they've still got to buy DNO and they've got to buy other things, which I presume they find very difficult to buy. So what's your angle and what's the core product? Sure. If you think about the insurance space, you know, it's solved amazing problems over the last 350 years for all different companies of shapes and sizes and risks that have evolved. But having said that, insurance capital moves very slowly. And oftentimes, innovation in the entrepreneurial sense outpaces insurance capacity and accommodation. You know, the first 10 years of my career in the insurance space was largely devoted to alternative aspects of insurance, alternative risk transfer vehicles, alternative risk finance strategies. And all of that was geared toward insureds that had risks that were not adequately accommodated by the existing insurance and reinsurance marketplace. And so I would use insurance infrastructure to solve a lot of these problems. And in 2017, I had the benefit of taking two engagements from companies that were operating in the crypto space and were getting ready to raise, one of these companies was getting ready to raise a series A. And they had a great cap table. They had great investors. They had great management competency. They had a strong product you know, positioning that they were looking to bring to the market, compliance infrastructure. And if this company had not been squarely focused on providing financial services in the crypto space, they would have gotten insurance, but they couldn't, they couldn't get it anywhere. And so I had the opportunity to work with this client closely to understand all the nuances of their business and try to build out a solution for them in obtaining coverage. And you know, in 2017, it was kind of one of those light bulb moments where there was this realization that there were so many of these companies that were well-positioned, strong propositions, but because they were operating in crypto, they were persona non grata in the commercial insurance space. And to me, that, that's an opportunity, right? If there's a dislocation between demand and capacity, that's an opportunity to bring some informed capacity to the market. And that's what we started doing in 2018 as we worked with the VMA to get Realm licensed. Do you think with the BMA, it sounds like they should take a lot of plaudits for this, a lot of praise. Was this the sort of thing you could do anywhere else? Or are there any other jurisdictions in the world that are getting close to this, you know, maybe other than El Salvador? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of jurisdictions now that are promulgating a legislative framework around the oversight of companies operating in the crypto space. But as it specifically relates to insurance companies operating in the crypto space, there's not another jurisdiction that I know of that has this legislative framework and a solvency model that's really geared toward the types of operations that Realm undertakes on a daily and weekly and yearly basis. But I've operated in non-US and US jurisdictions, right? I've set up insurance and reinsurance facilities in the US and throughout the Caribbean and your, your traditional jurisdictions came in and the Bahamas, Turks and Caicos, et cetera. And those are great jurisdictions from a regulatory standpoint. But if you look at what BMA was bringing to the table, Bermuda is the second largest insurance jurisdiction in the world, second only to London. And the same regulatory body that has been overseeing what I think are some of the most innovative things in insurance, all of this alternative capital that's moved into the reinsurance space over the last 30 years, these strategies have been incubated and regulated in Bermuda. And it just so happens it's the same regulatory body that promulgated the Digital Asset Business Act in 2018, which was their legislative framework around regulating these crypto-related operations. And so when you're dealing with one regulator that knows insurance and also recognizes the potential of the technology coming out of the crypto and blockchain sector, it was a no-brainer. 
we've got the regulators and we've got the other de facto sort of regulators being the rating agencies. So again, what sort of a conversation was that with Demotech? And was that a long process to get an A rating? Because an A rating for a balance sheet that contains crypto, it can't be easy because it's not necessarily in the methodology for any of the other major or the, the big two rating agencies, for example. Well, yeah, the conversations were you know, entertaining at best. And we spoke with a lot of the rating agencies, but if you can imagine bringing a startup insurer, you know, capacity provider writing on their own balance sheet to market with no operating track record, focusing on sectors that some deem to be reputationally damaging at best without a structured reinsurance program and without a rated parent or affiliate that we could piggyback off from a rating standpoint. I mean, those conversations are almost a non-starter in terms of launching with the rating. And so we knew that if we could demonstrate good underwriting discipline, right, within the lines of business that we were targeting, which really kind of spanned the financial professional line spectrum, you know, directors and officers liability, professional indemnity of all, you know, several different kinds, financial institution, professional indemnity, technology, professional liability, cyber, and then crime. And crime in the crypto sense covers these different exposures arising from the safe custody of crypto assets. And so you look at those lines of business, it was a function of just needing to demonstrate that we could underwrite these companies effectively. There was a market for the products that we were looking to sell. And if we could do that successfully over what we thought was going to take probably two years, then we felt like we were going to be favorably positioned to work with some of these rating agencies and get a rating. And fortunately, you know, Demotech was was great to work with. And so we shouldn't think of you really as a sort of digital vault insurer. It's much more than that. You're at the high end of the financial institution exposure here, really. That's correct. The large majority of our policies issued in 2021 were fiat denominated. The portion of crypto on our balance sheet is something that we are very deliberately, but also incrementally moving towards. As we gain perspective on you know how the demand for crypto denominated insurance is going to be evolving. But certainly our insureds are companies operating in the crypto space. They're exchanges, they're large trading desks, they are you know mining companies, they're asset managers that are either launching or currently manage funds that are crypto oriented, making direct investments in protocols and tokens. And so our approach really has been to work as closely as we can with these insureds develop a relationship that puts us in a position to gain the transparency that we need on an account by account basis so that we can make sound underwriting decisions. And really, I think that's the only way that you can operate in this space because we don't have the benefit of hindsight, right? We don't have 10 years or 15 years or 20 years of historical data that we can sink our teeth into and confidently project loss projections going forward. That's one of my next questions is, how do you try and rate something like this that's totally pioneering, that's it's obviously not been done before? It's honestly, it's probably the most stimulating three years I've had in the insurance industry, right? For that reason, because existing rate models don't accommodate the type of technology and operations and scale that we're seeing in the crypto space. One of the biggest challenges is a company that we're underwriting today is going to look wildly different 12 months from now. I mean, the scale in the crypto space is you're seeing companies that have protocols or companies that have grown a thousand X that are, you have a market cap of 20 million as a private company 
in 2020, and they're still a private company today, but their market cap is over $3 billion. And they've had massive rounds from significant investors. And so the only way that we can make these underwriting decisions is have face-to-face -face conversations with the executives that are leading the charge. And fortunately, we've built a great distribution network with brokers that understand we are not going to make an underwriting decision off of a proposal form, right? We're probably not going to make an underwriting decision off of a proposal form and supplemental information. It is going to be a very hands-on but constructive underwriting process. And that's put us, I think, in a great position because one of the other things that we want to ensure people see Realm as is an insurance company that truly is delivering a mutually beneficial proposition. The insurance coverage that we are writing for these companies is enabling them to raise rounds. It's enabling them to bring really credible and reputable independent directors onto their board. It's enabling them to get authorizations and jurisdictions that have minimum insurance requirements. It's enabling them to execute on contracts with vending partners that have minimum insurance requirements that you know, they just can't get in the commercial insurance marketplace very effectively right now. No, I suppose because there's no way you can go to a top uh, former banker or banking CEO and ask them to be on your board when you can't get any DNO. And they say, well, hang on, I don't want to put up my own assets just in case this whole thing goes wrong. You know, So almost like you're part of the whole allowing crypto to go mainstream. And it's never going to go mainstream unless a business like yours is able to get in there and provide the insurance that you need for all this stuff to happen, right? Yeah. And I think we like to think in our little way, right? We are actually energizing these businesses to execute on their objectives and move their strategy forward. And you know, we participate in a lot of the biggest crypto and blockchain conferences. We were one of the sponsors of Bitcoin Miami last year and have participated in some really big, very front lines type initiatives with a lot of companies that were underwriting and, and hope to underwrite. I mean, I think it's a great way to, to build a network and really gain some insight on how to navigate this potential minefield of writing insurance for emerging companies. And Joe, is that why you took the strategy of having to build your own balance sheet, which is obviously harder than just being an MGA and you writing on someone else's paper? Was it partly that? Is it that the rest of the industry doesn't really get it yet? And also, how is your relationship with reinsurers and the progressive end of the insurance industry? How's that progressing now that you've got your own balance sheet and clearly they can see that your interests are going to be aligned if they reinsure you, for example? And can you provide meaningful limits to those companies? Obviously, particularly. A lot of these companies want to go public. They want to do all sorts of things. And we're talking about quite large sums. Yes, a lot to unpack there. But you know, you made the comment about the difficulty of starting a capacity provider versus an MGA. And to me, I've always kind of operated on the capacity side. I, I started a surety company in 2016 in the US on an admitted basis. And so I have an appreciation for and a level of comfort navigating kind of those regulatory hurdles that are required to bring fresh capacity to the market. But I actually think it's more difficult to bring an MGA model into an emerging space than it is to bring a capacity model into the emerging space, right? You can have the most informed perspective of underwriting certain lines of coverage for certain exposures and certain operations, but if you can't find the capacity to support it, you're kind of going to stay in the starting blocks and bringing this capacity to market really put Realm in a position to make underwriting decisions that we are making internally with our own informed support. And so it gave us the latitude to get as creative as we needed to with our rating models and our policy wordings and manuscript endorsements in order to make what we consider to be sound underwriting decisions. And so as it relates to the question about reinsurance, it ties into your other point about limits, right? And the size and the amount of coverage that we can provide these companies. 
launching an insurance company without a structured reinsurance program, I think would be seen by many to be kind of a non-starter, right? But we have been very judicious about the limits that we have offered our insurance. And as much as we would love to give them all of the capacity they need from a balance sheet protection standpoint, we're taking small bites, right? And that's allowing us to do a couple of things. Number one, we build a book of great insurers. Number two, we can get comfortable with their operations as they're scaling. And number three, if we're executing on the underwriting side of things and bringing capital on board, building our own internal capacity, it gives us an option to make a more comfortable decision to potentially you know, increase the line size of renewal. Um, so you know, in the absence of reinsurance, we've got to protect our balance sheet through good underwriting decisions and judicious limits. But again, reinsurance is a function of a track record. And we've had some pretty, I would say, compelling conversations for some risk transfer in 2022 and 2023. So we should watch this space as everyone can get comfortable with you. You've kind of gone out on a limb, but you might be able to write more you know, with the backing of the reinsurance market. That's kind of one of the other things that we've gotten over the line right at the tail end of 2021 is this acknowledgement that we want to work with traditional reinsurance capacity, but we also understand that there are some restrictions and limitations and certainly hesitation to provide some meaningful capacity. And so what we ended up working with the BMA on over the last four months is actually launching what will be the first collateralized reinsurance facility that can accept collateral in both fiat and crypto. So if we have strategic product development initiatives, two examples from 2021, we issued slashing insurance policies to the largest uh, infrastructure providers in the space. Um, and we've also written some smart contract failure coverage. These are exposures that actually need really high limits. 25, 50, 100 million may not be adequate. So the idea of being able to pull that capacity from the traditional reinsurance marketplace right now is challenging. And if we don't want to wait for that capacity to come around, then let's explore some of these alternative risk transfer strategies that Bermuda is known for. Um, and we think this vehicle is going to be a really compelling proposition to bring in third-party capital in support of an industry that we are fully committed to. Wow. Presumably, you're quite happy with the sort of market share you're getting within crypto in terms of the sort of client base that you're talking about, the effectively the blue chips of crypto. This is your book, right? Yes. And it's not just the blue chips, right? I think the blue chips is where we see the most competition, right? I mean, if you're looking at a company, name any one of a dozen blue chip companies, there's market participation on their DNO programs. London has a billion dollars worth of cold storage custody capacity, right? But a lot of that capacity is allocated for the blue chips. And while we love participating on some of those programs, we've also found a tremendous amount of need within the small and middle market, right? These companies that are pre-revenue, they're early stage. They've done a ton of really great work on launching their product or service. And they're raising capital and they're well positioned for success. And we're happy to dig into those companies as well. I think those are great long-term insured, insurer, partner opportunities. I had um, Bronick Mazzayada on the show recently, and he said, everything's different, but it's actually always the same. What do you find sort of the same about crypto risks? You know, obviously they sound scary and pioneering, but presumably when you're sitting down and having that almost face-to-face one-on-one discussion with the risk manager or board member of that potential insured, are you just looking for the same stuff you would have been if they were going to be buying fire insurance off you 20 years ago? You know, if you look at something like directors and officers liability insurance, certainly there are the hallmark 
lines of questioning, information requests. Same red flags, closely held companies, that kind of stuff. Yeah, conflicts of interest, you know, their solvency, financial ratios, projected financials, management competency. But there is inevitable, you know, kind of bleed in of, of these crypto related exposures. I mean, if you have companies that are raising capital via some form of token issuance, that's certainly outside the box of any traditional DN show, DNO wording or underwriting template. If you have a company that's providing safe custody, to third-party assets, right? There's an entire custody security architecture that these companies are building in order to maintain safe custody of third-party assets. And these custody architectures are being subjected to independent audit, right? So just as you are requesting audits from an information security standpoint, we're now having to do the same thing from a crypto custody standpoint. When you look at developers that are targeting operations within the decentralized finance space, right? Decentralized finance is anchored by smart contracts, right? And smart contracts are a series of code that facilitate certain types of transactions. And if you look at the amount of volume, I mean, billions of dollars worth of trade volume takes place within decentralized finance every single day. It's anchored by these smart contracts, which is programmed by these developers. If these smart contracts don't work well, there are going to be a lot of Unhappy people. <laughs> and so you know, these are the things that we're really working closely with our insurers on to first understand and then to get comfortable with and then to figure out how to underwrite. Yep. And I suppose it's almost by definition, it's a cyber risk as well as being the usual human risks and you know, fidelity risk and all the other stuff and just basic competency, architecture, ERM kind of risk. It's cyber and everything is cyber added as well, isn't it? Are all these things hackable or presumably you have to always ask the question, how hackable is this? And I guess if you're kind of talking specifically about crypto custody, you're right. There are two vectors. There's employee theft and there's kind of cyber intrusion, so to speak. But, you know, a lot of these custodians are providing safe custody through both hot and cold storage or, you know, a version that's anchored in this cool technology that's called multi-party computational technology or MPC technology. But, you know, cold storage is, is a means of providing custody for crypto in a manner that is completely removed from the internet. So a well-architected cold storage custody program has or should not have any vector from the cyber side of things, yeah. right? So it's just a vault. It's just a big bank vault, effectively. So it's a physical location, right? That's right. I mean, you have these private keys or these hardware security modules that are forming the basis of the security, which are maintained in commercial-grade bank vaults. And in that sense, you've got you know, you've got employee theft considerations, you've got physical damage considerations, but yeah, it runs the gamut. It gets significantly more complicated from there once you start talking about providing custody of assets in any sort of digital or online fashion. Joe, you've kind of done everything the wrong way around. You've gone straight into the hardest, most difficult sector of the market. You've started a balance sheet insurer. You've started your own rating methodology and way of doing things. You managed to get a license and a rating. Could you now just go into any other market vertical? It sounds like you've kind of got yourself match fit. To You could go and move outside crypto, couldn't you? Or do you ever think you would do that? Or do you want to be seen always as being this crypto specialist? Well, as I mentioned before, we're committed to the crypto sector. It was really one of those intense points of focus that we knew we were going to be launching Realm 4, right? As a means of providing capacity to the sector that we really believed in. But we found out during the licensing process that the same dynamic of market dislocation, growing demand of companies operating in a space met by a lack of insurance capacity was faced by several other sectors, right? You look at in the cannabis sector on a global basis, 
that sector has had its ups and downs to say the least, but there are companies operating in that space that are great, right? And they can't find the insurance they need. And the same thing in the psychedelic sector, really compelling early stage psychedelic initiatives that are geared toward getting people with certain disorders like PTSD or depression or eating disorders off of pharmaceutical-based treatments and utilizing what could be some pretty compelling alternatives. And so since we launched in early 2020, we have also scaled the same underwriting approach to some of these other emerging sectors, including cannabis and, and early stage psychedelic initiatives. So you're running towards where you see market dislocation and difficulty, and you're going to go and try and solve those problems for people. Yes. You know, these are also things that you know, we're building a team around that is passionate about these sectors, either completely across the board or individually. <laughs> Finding someone that likes to underwrite, but is also interested in what's going on in the cannabis space, either recreationally or professionally or commercially, that's actually a conversation we want to have. These are the kind of people that we want to, to bring on board realm. And I think the other important point to note too is we've got a great capital partner in our parent company, which is a company called Dell Tech International Group. They have a very aligned strategy in providing a spectrum of financial services for companies operating in the crypto space through some of our sister companies in the banking and, and fintech sector. Right. Would you see yourself as an insure tech or are you just really a traditional company just insuring non-traditional verticals? Certainly the former. And Realm, I think, is positioned to fill both of these kind of categories, right? There's certainly an aspect of our business that is traditional, writing forms of traditional policies with traditional limits and traditional currencies. But we are also building technology that we think is going to help streamline the insurance distribution process, streamline the means by which premium can flow from insured to insurer and potentially reinsure and then back again to insured in the form of claim payments. So yeah, the technology aspect is certainly going to be an anchor of our strategy going forward. As you know, as someone who really understands crypto, presumably you'd be using smart contracts and blockchain-based proof of cover, et cetera, yourselves. That's right. Exactly. Right. Because that makes sense. And you've got a very good relationship with a lot of these technology providers anyway, so they could be doing some of that for you, I presume. Yeah, there's some really interesting things that are going on in the on-chain parametric insurance space right now. Initiatives around weather-related cover, travel insurance, right? These are things that are somewhat binary, right? They're binary in the sense that, you know, there's some identifiable triggers and that structure of determining loss is very conducive to parametric cover and parametric cover is somewhat programmatic and it's also conducive to being facilitated through smart contracts. So I think there has been some traction by some really cool companies that are- uh, So you could have- a distributed way of verifying the loss, which is completely irrefutable. And then it could all happen in two clicks. Exactly. And that really is, I think, one of the exciting opportunities of where we see insurance going. I mean, the oracles that are feeding these smart contracts with information are pulling data off-chain. They're bringing it on-chain and they're informing these smart contracts about when losses happen or, or don't happen. And I think that's a a really huge opportunity that I think is beneficial for not just the insurance space from a transparency and claims administration standpoint, but it's great for insureds as well. So will you need lots of investment to keep this business going? Presumably, obviously, you need underwriting capital if the insurers don't all come on board. But also, do you need to be hiring tons of programmers and developers? Well, insurance in general eats capital. And if you've got a business that is scaling in the right direction, you're going to need to keep feeding 
you know, the beast, so to speak. And certainly raising capital is, you know, is an initiative that we have in our crosshairs for, for 2022. And then outside of that, when you look at some of these product development initiatives, I mean, we've been working with a great technical partner called Agoric Systems, actually one of our insureds in the development of this smart contract insurance product. Product development is expensive and the technology that needs to be in place in order to support it is another cost consideration. So we certainly have capital raising initiatives that are focused purely on keeping our balance sheet in good shape, but then we also have some working capital and kind of CapEx type uh, budget items that I think are going to be really excited to undertake. In, in and what sort of growth are you penciling in for this year? What might we be talking about this some next year? I mean, break out the crystal ball, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I presume that the potential is really, really high, isn't it? That, well, that- it is, but you know, we have conservative growth expectations in terms of we're very deliberate about the accounts we bring on board. So we want to make sure we're maintaining a great relationship with these insureds, demonstrating something that is a mutually beneficial solution for them and having a great renewal rate. But we're also continuing to be very selective about the new business we onboard. And I think we should be in a good position for some decent growth in 2022. And is it too early to say about underwriting profitability, about your own feel for that? Or are you happy to talk about that? Well, I think some of this will come through in our... Um, I should dig out your Demotec rating um, report. Exactly, right? That is the benefit of having a financial rating. A lot of this stuff becomes more transparent, but we've had great loss experience. We're working with, not just as a function of our license, right? We're working with independent actuarial firms to kind of evaluate and reevaluate our book at regular intervals to confirm that we are in a good position from a rate adequacy standpoint, a reserving standpoint, but also as a, you know, again, a fully regulated commercial insurer, you have to file a loss reserve specialist opinion in Bermuda, which is a certification from an independent actuarial firm that the reserves that you're reflecting on your balance sheet are adequate relative to your volume and claims history. So we're in a good position from a solvency and underwriting profit standpoint. You're a fantastic entrepreneur. You've driven this business and effectively created a new type of insurance company from nothing. What's your own vision as an entrepreneur? Are you the sort of entrepreneur that wants to build a business forever and keep it going forever and, and be realm forever until you know I've got even more gray hairs and you've got some? Or are you the sort of person who gets the kick out of building a business and then maybe handing on someone else to really scale it? The former. I'm committed to this journey, right? And, and this is something that has been certainly near and dear to my heart and you know, near and dear to, to Deltec's heart. And the deeper we get into the space, the more opportunity for different strategies and growth and solutions there are. So Realm is certainly not a, a one-trick pony in terms of, all right, we're going to be this insurer that only focuses on emerging sectors. That's great, but there are so many solutions that we can build around it. And I think from that standpoint, it's a pretty engaging runway going forward that I absolutely want to be involved with. So it sounds like you're still enjoying it and it's still throwing up new challenges and exciting things are happening all the time. So why would you want to leave? And what else could we have more fun? <laughs> exactly. Joe, I've come to the end of all my questions. I just, unless there's anything I've missed, I'd love to thank you. Obviously, yeah, this story's just begun really, hasn't it? So I'm sure you'll be coming in to update us at some point in the future. And until love then, to. good luck with everything. Yeah, I'd love to. And thanks again for the opportunity. It's an honor to be on The Voice of Insurance. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. 
Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.